What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavalli coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, in a skin-tight Nick shirt that I needed to change into before I did this podcast um, because I knew I was coming on with my very good friend and longtime colleague, Bleacher Reports' Grant Hughes. Follow him on Twitter, at GT underscore Hughes. And I was trying to make it look like I was super jacked or something, and it wasn't because I was in gym clothes and was dripping sweat just before um, I finished working and then jumped onto this podcast before having a chance to shower. And I'm very thankful that Grant cannot smell me as we record this. Uh, we're going to talk about free agency, but first, Grant, how the hell are you doing? I'm good, but that's not important. Do the listeners, do your listeners know that you are, in fact, super jacked? Do you feel uh, like good for your image? No, they don't. I think they know I'm a gym rat, but I phrased it when people ask me, like, what that, like, why I'll say, like, I'm, I'm a fake gym rat. And they'll be like, what does that mean? I say, if you realized, if you knew how much I worked out and then was concerned about my diet and then weighted against how I look, you would think that working out is the stupidest thing and the biggest waste of your time. <laughs> I feel like you should really lean into this, though, because maybe people will take your takes more seriously if they know that like you could break them in half if they were to pop off on Twitter at you. I feel like you need to lean into your image. I need to get, I need to actualize that image first. So that'll be the goal over the off season. How are you though during this free agency period? This was the first time we didn't preamble 30 minutes before recording because we decided that as confused, baffled as we both are right now, after two days of free agency, it was best to just do this organically and, and try and reconcile and rationalize everything. But I'm just, I don't know about you. I am floored, flabbergasted, confused the, the whole nine after two days. Yeah, it's it's been a weird one to me. And I mean, it, that's super vague, but um, I guess like, so the first thing that sort of occurred to me later uh, on on the second day of free agency now was was just a question of like, how much does any of this change? Like, how much does this matter in terms of if you're talking about the hierarchy of the league or who's a real contender and who's not? Um, and there are lots of other prisms to view free agency through, and I'm sure we'll get to those. But just like the overarching question of like, did a new, did the new like power structure, is there a new power structure? And like, I kind of don't think that there is because so the Lakers made a bunch of signings and everybody's making the, all these guys are a hundred years old jokes, but I think the Lakers are probably better. And, but, but like they were maybe the title favorite going into the playoffs anyway, last year. So like, I don't know there, that doesn't change a lot. I think the heat are better uh, having signed, you know, signed and traded for Kyle Lowry. Uh, they got PJ Tucker. They kept Duncan Robinson and a couple minimum guys are coming in. Deadman and Marquise Morris. It looks like, I don't know if the latter is official, but I don't know if that puts them on like clear top tier championship footing. I think, you know, they're at least a, like a second tier, maybe better than that. But then after that, it's kind of like, a couple teams sort of made some win now, like we're cool trying to be the fourth seed at best moves. Um, but yeah, like there's, there hasn't, maybe we're spoiled with like, you know, free agency just totally changes the landscape of the league. I don't know if we've got that this time. I'm wondering if that becomes a thing too. And that's probably a separate discussion to have where it's just based on the amount of superstars who will force their way to teams pre-agency and then sign with them based on the extensions that we're seeing and now sort of the use of the sign and trade with the Kyle Lowry for a, you know, an older star who didn't get to go where he wanted to go apparently by 
the trade deadline, does free agency not turn into that landscape shifting mechanism anymore like it has the past, you know, decade plus? I wonder too, uh, you know, everybody I think agrees that this this is a weak class relative specifically to 2022's free agency class. And in the past, you'd had a lot of teams making you know, clearly making moves or not making moves with an eye toward, well, we want cap space for this particular class. And like, that hasn't really worked out very well in the past. And I wonder if the fact that this, in this free agency session, there haven't really been a lot of like one plus ones or balloon payments or anything that would position a team that is really gunning for whatever they want in the 2022 class, which I think you and I agree, like, that's always a risky play. You know, you always say you can get cap space when you need it or try to get it when you need it. Don't set it up for like, this is our four-year plan and we're really dialed in on right. 2023. Cause so that's another thing that just didn't really happen this year that has been kind of a constant for the last several. So free agency seems different. I don't know. Maybe it's just because this class isn't any good and, and, and that's, that's just how teams are treating it. But, but yeah, it, I don't know. I, you, you've kind of been, working on this more than I have in terms of writing. Um, I, I like, I just, I just don't feel like, uh, you know, if I were working these last couple of days that there would have been a particular signing that I would have been like, well, this is the a storyline. Like we have to cover this because this changes so much. I think Kyle Lowry comes closest to that. Um, the bulls out of sheer intrigue might come close. I want to start with the Lakers though. Cause I actually haven't podcasted since the, or didn't podcast specifically about the Russell Westbrook trade. I, th- I think what they kind of did there, I, their minimum signings were fine. Like Ken Baysmore, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza. They get mellow now. They bring back um, Talon Horton Tucker. They they have shooters now. I would say the only lights out shooters are Wayne Ellington. And is that is that like it? I'm trying to think of who. Like Trevor Ariza can shoot it, but he's like up and down there. Uh, you know, I don't. Malik Monk. All right. He shot over 40% three. Like that was a very interesting signing, but are you playing those guys in the playoffs? Wayne Ellington, probably not. And the thing with Wayne Ellington too, and I mentioned this on Twitter when it happened, he's not just some chill in the corner stroke spot up threes guy. He wants to get his shots in motion coming off handoffs and stuff. The Lakers like LeBron James's teams typically just don't do that. Maybe they will now, but with Russell Westbrook specifically, I don't want to dismiss it. I think they've clearly raised their floor because the the Lakers have been essentially a disaster in the non-LeBron minutes since he's been there. Last year with Dennis Schroeder, their half-court efficiency was in the 25th percentile when he played without LeBron. I think Westbrook, he is the most erratic, most inefficient jump shooter perhaps that we've ever seen. Um, He can still anchor those lineups better than anyone else they've had in place. But I don't think that you've necessarily nudged your ceiling in the right direction with the pairing of LeBron, Westbrook, NAD, because Westbrook has now shown in OKC, in Houston, and in Washington, like playing off the ball is not his thing. And I don't, we can say that playing next to LeBron will make it click for him. But for me, it's more like, why wouldn't it have clicked when he went to Houston with his really good friend, James Harden, where the Rockets had to end up punting on center play entirely. And there are just so many questions here. I think they rebounded nicely because I made a joke about their shooting, but they're, propensity for skirting the use of their best spending tool or best talent acquisition tools on actual shooting continues to to amaze me because that's what you should just do for LeBron James is surround him with a ton of shooting and I don't want to say well I will say I would have went the buddy healed route 
Um, the, the Westbrook in a vacuum, the talent play, yeah, sure, do it. But I'm just so curious to see how they function from here. And I don't think that, again, I think you can give LeBron more rest now and maybe you could take more, place more stock in the minutes without him. But I don't really know what this does for them when we're talking about a playoff series. And like you said, they might've been the favorites had they really done nothing. Maybe just re-signed Dennis Schroeder, who, by the way, remains on the open market as we record this. They could still just technically bring him back or sign and trade him somewhere. So I don't, I like their minimum signings more than I, I like their offseason's biggest move, which is just a weird place to wind up in. No, I, I agree with pretty much all of that. I think, like, Russell Westbrook's defining characteristic is he is uncompromising. And I think it's, it's not realistic to say it, that he's going to change the way he plays. One, because, like, that's just not how he operates. One of the things that makes him great is, like, he's just relentless in wanting to play a certain way, and he's great at it. Uh, but also because like, he just can't like, that's, he, he's not capable of, of being a different type of player. Um, I agree that it raises their regular season floor and I, I would go even farther. I think like, it, it, well, the, the counterpoint, I would go even farther on the counterpoint and say that the Lakers entire goal needs to be, and is how do we win a title, which and this requires being built to win playoff games. And Russell Westbrook, it has been demonstrated, and every team does this, you scheme against guys that can't shoot and that compromise spacing. And if the Lakers insist on playing centers, you know, and Anthony Davis at the four, maybe they'll change that. But they are not going to have spacing, and Westbrook's going to get ignored. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt them in the playoffs. I think I don't feel like that's too harsh of a thing to say. Like, Westbrook is a, is a great player at what he does. Uh, but in a playoff setting, if you have an obvious weakness, and as you said, there has never been a worse high volume three point shooter than Russell Westbrook. Like that's a weakness. So I don't think he acted. I think he might actively hurt their chances at winning a title. Um, and I don't know that and, and he helps it. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act. Like he helps in that. Maybe LeBron stays healthier. Davis stays healthier. Some of these older guys stay healthy. Just whatever. He's in, he's going to eat a bunch of innings in theory. Although physically, he's breaking down a lot. He quit getting to the rim last year. That's a big deal. Um, but yeah, I I think they sort of they did well to address needs with you know the very limited uh, avenues to add players that they had. Um, I don't know that that's enough to offset a, a point guard that can't shoot that's going to play probably every meaningful minute of their playoff run so yeah I, I i don't know i think i mean i i kind of think we might have the nets to blame for this because they sort of like succeeded in just throwing together top end names and talent that seemed to overlap and harden was sort of a little like westbrook and like can he change the way he plays the answer was yes but i think the nets are the exception and if you just start throwing superstars together regardless of fit or you know how they affect your ultimate specific goal of winning a title I think it could, it's not the best idea. The, the Nets are the exception and not the rule. And even the Nets didn't, I mean, you know, they were injured, but they fell short too. And just to drive that point home, and this is, it's not just a Westbrook problem, but 61 players averaged at least five pull-up jumpers per game last year. Uh, Westbrook's effective field goal percentage among that 61 player group ranked 57th and Anthony Davis is ranked 58th. So that's, that's a real problem I have to confront. That said, I don't want to shit on everything they've did. Right. We both like their minimum signings. Whose was your favorite of just all the, the minimum guys that they got? I think 
Well, this is weird. Like, I think Ellington makes the most sense of because, like, God, they need shooting, and that's what Wayne Ellington does. But I also kind of like Dwight Howard coming back because he's he's been in a permanent small role, like really good the last couple of years. He fouls too much, and he doesn't obviously doesn't space or anything, but he's an effective defender. I think if you're counting on Marcus Gasol to eat a lot of of minutes, so Davis doesn't have to play center, like we're we Gasol might be done now. Like I love Marcus Gasol, but like I just don't know that he's going to anchor your defense anymore. I think he just can be kind of played off the floor. Howard's got more brown bounce. He he might matter. Um, I think they're, <laughs> might all, matter. <laughs> they're all at least fine. Like Bazemore's fine. I mean, he he can be a, a end of the rotation guy. Ariza, I guess. I mean, he's. I think is Ariza 37? He might be 47 for all I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, well, it's not a minimum, but I think Kendrick Nunn, two for 10 million, like that, I mean, he might, he might play major minutes and, and just being someone that, you know, theoretically can run around for a while without, without keeling over. I think that's going to be a factor. The I, Kendrick Nunn does intrigue me, but because he also prefers to operate with the ball in his hands, yeah. the fit there is curious. I like the monk signing for that reason. I'm just cur- I'm also curious to see how much they will lean on him. I think I like the mellow addition because you're going to play him and he shot the ball well from three, really well in Portland. They let him indulge his inner mellowness a lot in those possessions. I'm sure the uh, on some possessions, excuse me. I'm sure the Lakers will do the same. But I, I think it infers a commitment to playing Anthony Davis the five more in the regular season. And we've always shown they've always been willing to do that in the playoffs. And yeah, maybe it's not as important to do that during the regular season. I would argue with the addition of Russell Westbrook, it does become really important to do it during the regular season now. And you don't sign Carmelo Anthony to play him at like the three right now. And so maybe it's a situation where it's Davis, Melo, and LeBron or just your front line, which is like Anthony Davis is still the center in that instance. And just based off how Melo has shown that what what he did in Portland, I know he was a liability at points. I know he's still divisive. I'm not saying he's clearly going to be bad on defense and there are going to be shots he takes the jab steps, the, the post-ups that you don't want to see. Um, it, there are going to be moments where it's like, oh, okay. But I think he's done well in a complimentary capacity over the past two years. And I think just what that can do for some of the Lakers lineups in terms of nudging Davis to the five, I like at least what that signals. But maybe I'm misreading that situation completely wrong. Well, I think for a team that has had a hard time scoring in the half court, I think Mello and Monk and Nunn are all guys that, like, they're not efficient offensive players but like you can throw it to any of them and say get make something you know give me like a a a a 42 percent shot you know as the shot clock's winding down we have nothing going like there's there's value in that especially in the playoffs when like sometimes that's the best you're going to do so yeah i think all those guys the lakers i don't know if i'd who won the offseason or not or if we even care but um or at least free agency because the westbrook thing i don't like but the lakers had as good a, a good a free agency as really anybody which team, since I picked the Lakers to start off, which team are you most fascinated by based off what's happened in free agency so far? I think it's probably the Bulls. I mean, you alluded to it. Um, and I think I kind of had a macro thought about them. And this might just be like trying to be contrarian, but I feel like we judge. So the DeRo- let's take the DeRozan signing or sign and trade. So he's going to make $85 million over three years. Um, everybody that covers the league fairly closely and cares about the numbers knows that like his – his teams are always worse when he plays. He's a bad defender. He doesn't space the floor. He's, you know, an empty calories scorer, even though he gets to the line. Like he's just not, 
in he's not well thought of among people that care about the, the numbers and, and or you know more than just like oh look that was a sweet like mid post move which he can do um and they also got lonzo ball and they signed alex caruso so the bulls are better or they're more talented their offense should be better um but essentially like these are all moves that you make with possibly the exception of ball that just broadcast like we are not trying to win at a high level like we just you cannot you cannot make these moves and say this is a team we're trying to build a championship and you could take that back to the Vucevic trade last year like that's not a move you make trading two firsts and some salary filler for a guy that just you know his team's top out at the eighth seed that's what happens um but I think like was there a realistic move that the bulls could have made that would have put them in championship contention? No, like, of course not. So, and I think that would be true for as long as Giannis is in Milwaukee and as long as the nets are good. And as long as the Lakers are good, like there was no path to the bulls being a title contender for like the next five years conservatively. So they're going to be better and more entertaining and sell more tickets and win more games. And so I'm just trying to like devil's advocate my way into the Bulls offseason not being horrible while acknowledging that like dollar for dollar DeRozan is probably one of the worst signings. I think the Cavs might've made the worst one um, of free agency. So I don't know. It's Whoa. just like my thought on free agency. You I'll, know? I'll get to, I'll get to that Cavs one in a second, but the Bulls, I think you're being a little hard because I like the Caruso and Lonzo signings on their face. Maybe the Caruso deal in that final year looks a little bit iffy, but I think Lonzo Ball is a nice fit next to Levine and Vooch. And he's young enough to where if you're bad, it's not that big of a concern. I think this might speak to the overarching um, problem of free agency this year is that the market of available, gettable talent did not meet the demand and teams did not adjust their timelines accordingly. The Bulls clearly wanted to win now and they still operated like that. The DeRozan move is where they kind of lost me. I could see a path to them being good next year but i don't know what that means and now you owe that 2023 pick to the magic um i believe it's top 10 protected and then now as it's the 2025 pick i think it's top 10 protected to the spurs and then protected top eight two years after that in addition to the lakers 2022 second rounder and your own 2025 second rounder so you've mortgaged like parts of your future and there are two ways to look at this they're finally acting like a big market team where it's hey we're going to operate with some level of competency on the court. And maybe that will attract other players to come. And they still have Kobe white. They still have Patrick Williams. These deals that they signed are not with the exception of DeRozan are not immovable. Maybe if someone wants to come, they can flip for another star. They are taking a risk though. I mean, Zach Levine seems happy with the moves. He tweeted the, the purple devil eyes emoji, whatever you call that. So he seems happy, but now you've punted on a renegotiation and extension with him. Right. You could still offer him the most money in free agency, but now he's reaching free agency. And if this year goes belly up, that's it could really come back to bite you. So I, I applaud the aggression, but the market just didn't justify it. And I think what they did within the confines of that market was actually really good verging on no-brainer activity until you got to that DeRozan deal. Because you know, you already made the Vooch trade. I wouldn't have made it. I said that Bulls fans killed me. I know that Zach Levine missed time, the health and safety protocols after that, after that. But to give up those two first round picks, I still believe in Wendell Carter Jr., but you know, you're not going to cry over him. You're not going to cry over Otto Porter. I, I get it. But to give up those two first round picks and then miss the play-in tournament, that's disastrous to me. But I still don't hate their offseason. The, the, the DeRozan move is what makes me go, okay, wow. 
And I don't know how this fits then. I like DeRozan with Levine offensively. I like DeRozan with Lonzo offensively. Put all those three guys together, throw Vooch in there. You're asking a lot all of a sudden of Lonzo and Patrick Williams on defense. And what is, what is their big man rotation right now after trading Thaddeus Young? Uh, they haven't re-signed Larry Markkinen. I would assume, and here's, so I want to throw this question to you. I just assumed Larry Markkinen would be involved in that sign and trade if it happened. The fact that he wasn't, do you think that shows San Antonio preferred the draft equity or that Chicago wants to keep Markkinen? They kind of have to keep him now, but I'm wondering if that was their prerogative going into those talks. That's a good question. I feel like all along I sort of thought that Markkinen would end up with the Spurs. I can remember writing stuff predicting that they would make him an offer sheet. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think it's probably the Spurs just preferred the package they got and didn't want, I guess, didn't want anything to do with Markkinen. Um, I want to go back to the a couple of DeRozan things though, because like I, I am I'm with you. Like I, I'm I'm of two minds about it. The DeRozan thing. So two problems. I actually don't think he's a good fit with Levine because you're going to have two wings that can't guard anybody. And I think if what you're, you can say Levine can play off the ball because he's a great shooter, but I don't think you should take the ball out of his hands if you have a choice between him and DeRozan and DeRozan doesn't space the floor at all. So I don't, I don't like that fit. Uh, I think, I think they overlap in ways that might make it harder for Levine to succeed. Um, The other thing is just the money. Like, I'm sure this take is out there and, and it's justifiable. Who was going to, who, who were the bulls beating with this three for 85? I'm assuming it was just the Spurs where they were like, well, well we're just going to keep DeRozan. And it was sort of like that type of thing where they, maybe DeRozan and them worked in tandem to just drive up the bulls offer both monetarily and looking at the assets. I, but I'm with you. I don't know what I'm, I'm looking at the, and I'm going to mention this team, like who is giving Derek Rose three years and $43 million. I, I don't know. <laughs> is Tom Thibodeau going to get hired by another team during free agency? Because the Matt team might do it. But other than that, <laughs> I can't think of one. No, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the Bulls, are, do you, I would, would the Bulls have been on your short list of the like interesting or intriguing teams in free agency? Because I, I just didn't. I mean, they're, they're fascinating as hell now if they weren't before. And so the, I think DeRozan and Levine can work offensively just fine. DeRozan's Chicago's best passer now. And so maybe yeah. that's what he's turned into a really good point guard, like point wing. Um, you're gonna. I'm assuming he's gonna play a lot of power forward. He started doing that in San Antonio, so maybe that opens up different, like, you know, machinations to hide him. I, I don't know. I would expect them to be pretty bad defensively, but they could have a top ten offense. I don't. I don't hate their offseason, but I went from embracing it to being iffy on it after the DeRozan deal, which is pretty much where I sit. And we kind of have to see where the pieces lie. But like their big man rotation is now shallower. Uh, I think you can argue that Thaddeus Young was a much better fit for this team based off their needs than bringing back Lowry Market in. That being said, the defense last year with Vooch and Young on the floor was still, it, they gave up more than 115 points per 100 possessions. So it wasn't great. And so maybe you're looking at that, but even still Young as a five option in certain lineups when Vooch is sitting, it just felt like it made more sense. You have to see how it all comes together, but they're taking a lot, they're, they're taking on a lot of risk here. And I'm just not sure that the payoff is going to be worth, worth it. Where I still think with Caruso and Levine and with that first pick, in the Vooch trade already conveying, it was sort of like, okay, we're in in-between mode, but now you firmly committed to win now without, I would argue, a ceiling that even includes a top four finish in the East. I would be, look, if you're going to finish ahead of Miami, Brooklyn, I think Philly's still there. There's weird shit afoot at the moment. Danny Green still hasn't resigned and what's going on with Ben Simmons. But Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, Brooklyn, like those are three teams I'd probably say are still better than Chicago. Then you get in. 
Yeah, but away. you get into a lot of ifs, but there are enough ifs where it's like not all those are going to break right for the for the Bulls. Are they better than the Knicks? You could probably say majority, maybe. The Hawks, you mentioned them. What about the Celtics? Haven't done much, but it's okay to like the Celtics from my perspective better than the Bulls right now. The Pacers just have a bunch of really good above replacement level players, many of whom don't fit together, but maybe they tie it all, the, all together in some way. So this the DeRozan move was curious. The overarching play of going all in, I think, was more justifiable before that move, just because they've acted like such a penny-pinching, non-glamour market franchise or non-flagship market franchise, whatever you want to call it, for too long. And so I like the idea here, but it's once again, with the Vooch trade, I feel like they went a step too far in the, the assets they gave up. And now with this, I'm like, you went one investment too far this offseason. And like, does the DeRozan deal look what if it was like, and it couldn't have been because it was a sign and trade. So it has to be at least three years in length. But if it was a two plus one and it's a team option on the third year, then okay. But it, I think it's fully guaranteed from what I'm seeing. So yeah. they're fascinating as hell, but I don't, I, I went from, again, almost loving their off season to kind of what the fuck mode. What, what do you think of the other side of the Lonzo uh, equation, which is New Orleans? Well, I'm a, so I think I'm going to be the Debbie Downer on this podcast because my two teams that I have circled right now is fascinating or for the wrong reasons. New Orleans is one of them. So let's look at this kind of in sum. They moved back, to, uh, what was it, seven spots in the draft or 10 yep. spots in the It was seven spots in the draft um, and then gave up the Lakers 2022 first rounder, which whatever. But they also gave up Lonzo Ball. And in return, they got rid of the Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe money so that they could make a run at Kyle Lowry. That was, that was what they did. And they didn't get Kyle Lowry. They got Thomas Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, and a second-round pick. And like then they give up a lottery-protected first for Devontae Graham, who I like. And I think he's you know, was off the dribble three kind of waned last year, but he can shoot the three ball. He's proven that over the past two years. And if he even returns, because he wasn't too healthy last year, um, and the dynamics of the roster were different in Charlotte. If he returns to what he was doing in 2019, 2020, where he was authentically one of the most valuable offensive players in the league, given how important he was to Charlotte, that's huge for them on four, what was it, four and 47 or whatever it was. But like the asset, the opportunity cost here, I don't, and like maybe you could look at it as, oh, well, the Pelicans aren't sending out their first round pick next year because they're going to be a lottery team. That's not the end goal <laughs> to be a lottery team against so that you keep your first round pick in the Devontae Graham sign and trade just a, I don't, I, you can appreciate the aggression level with which they dumped salary, but they were, it was another instance of them undoing mistakes from last off season, like with Stan Van Gundy, apparently. And that could go one of two ways. You could give them kudos for not doubling down on it and trying to insist they were right. But at the same time, it's like, this is so confusing to me. And I'm trying to wait to give a more profound take on them until the off season is over. But what is the other move now? You just like, I, maybe you didn't want to pay Lonzo Ball that money. I get it. But that was the return that you got from Chicago? I'm just so confused. And why did you have to give up a protected first rounder for Devontae Graham? He was coming off a down year. I'm just, I am, I'm so confused by their offseason. And there are so many moving parts. And I don't want to get too nuanced into it because whenever we talk Pelicans on this podcast, the numbers just implode i love the pelicans i love every team but their offseason to me they've got to be the biggest loser in the entire league right now and i'm not saying zion williamson is going to ask her out he's not like he, at, no one in his position is not signing that second deal when it's time for him to do it i'm not worried about that i'm just like why shed that if shed that money 
like when you're sure that you need it. You, I'm a big, like you said, I'm a big proponent of figure out the cap space equation when you need it. And if you weren't going to use that, and it didn't have to be Kyle Lowry, but on someone else, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. And you could, if they even would have kept Lonzo Ball and said, you know what, we did this so we could pay both Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and not worry about the tax at all. That I even would have been just a little bit more on board with. I also don't understand why they're so down on Lonzo Ball. I know a lot of Pelicans fans, bloggers, podcasters, who I, I try and follow them for their point of view, then they're making sense. Lonzo might be a touch overrated defensively. Like he's fine, but he's not this, he's not a one-on-one stopper. He's, he's portable, which I think is valuable. Um, and he doesn't, he can't be your point of attack offensive guy. He can, if you're running the floor, um, he will find people in transition. He's turned into, I think, a really good shooter, uh, but he doesn't get to the rim. He's not even a threat to like shoot on drives or whatever, or efficient when he's doing so. I, I get being down on him, but like that was the return. I'm just, I don't under, you have to believe that, okay, if they let him go for that, there wasn't much more out there. You have to assume they did their due diligence. Then just keep him. I don't like, was four and 85 that disastrous of a deal from a team perspective? Well, Siri apparently thinks so. My Apple watch is going off, but I just, I'm so, I think they, so far, they have royally fucked up the offseason for them. And I like Devontae Graham, but the path by which they've gotten here, it, it's just nonsensical to me. Uh, to me, it, it feels like, I think the Zion thing, I agree, it would be totally unprecedented if he were to really start leveraging his way out now. I don't think that's going to happen. I do still think that a lot of what they've been doing has been motivated by a fear of that and also by David Griffin decide like I need to keep my job I need to like take some swings the failure that really seems obvious to me not having any like intel on this at all obviously but like if they thought so there was a scenario I think like you said where all right the trade that they made involving Valanciunas they got the best player in the trade that's cool they saved some money and there was a pathway there for a minute where they can keep Lonzo keep Josh Hart and go out and sign Kyle Lowry that was possible but if they thought they were going to get Kyle Lowry when clearly the Heat had this like buttoned up and done before free agency ever started, uh, they were mistaken. And they were foolish to think that because there were several teams that were going to be able to make Lowry an offer in the similar range. And there was no scenario where he was going to pick New Orleans at the end of his career when he's trying to compete at a high level. I think the Miami thing was done forever. And so it was totally unrealistic to be making moves with an eye towards signing Kyle Lowry, especially when you're a team in the Pelicans position. And the other thing I think that seems likely to me is that Lonzo just kind of Eric Gordon them and said, do not match an offer sheet. Like, I don't want to come back here. That's that, that to me seems more plausible than the Pelicans saying four for 85 is too much because it's not too much. I, I think, I think there's a very likely scenario where Lonzo did not want to stay. And the Kyle Lowry thing was just a total botch job, or maybe the Pelicans knew that they weren't whatever. And now they're in this position where Graham might be, if Graham, like you said, Graham might be one of the best dollar for dollar signings of this off season. It's very possible face the floor and run some pick and roll, pick and pop, whatever. Um, but I think the Pelicans are maybe slightly better and we can leave after this. Cause I get it. Nobody cares, but they're maybe slightly better. But man, like, if they thought that they had a path to do what it seemed like they could with Lowry and Lonzo and stuff, like, that was just, that that didn't ever, that didn't seem like it was going to happen. And so now I just, I don't know what they do. I don't know how they sell this as like, 
this is the big off season. We had to make improvements. We had to get better. And they just, they just didn't, they, I mean, they didn't make like meaningful changes. Yeah. And I think if you look at everything they did individually, none of it's just super egregious, maybe even the Lonzo thing. Cause you look at the number and you're like, Hey, Thomas Adoransky can still be fine. Uh, but just everything in some, because I don't even mind if you gave up the protected first round pick for Devonte Graham, fine. You want to operate like you're doing it to operate as an over the cap team, maybe to keep Josh Hart fold the Devonte Graham thing into a bigger deal. If it's with the Memphis trade, I, I get everything. The payoff needed to be bigger after all this series of events. Yeah. than I think that they, they got to, uh, who's another team that is fascinating you. Oh, that's a good question. Fascinating to you. I mean, I, the other big one, I guess we should talk about Miami. Um, I, I don't know how fascinated I am. I think Lowry makes them better. I don't know. I guess I'm more fascinated with like how much this matters. Cause I'm trying to stretch, like, we, like I said at the beginning to, to sort of, I don't know, convince myself that free agency has meaningfully changed the landscape. Um, I think Lowry makes them really interesting. And like, now this team is like, how has there been a tougher team than, than the heat are going to be? They're like, going to annoy the hell out of everybody. They oh, play PJ Tucker, Lowry, Butler, even Marquise yeah. Morris. They're going to be just brutal. And so, yeah, I, I like what the heat did. I actually, if I have any reservations, it's about Tucker because everybody seemed to be like, Oh, look at this defense. He played on Kevin Durant in the playoffs and, and oh, he's just he's the missing piece. And yeah, like he, he contributed to a title winner, but like, you, the, the planets have to align for him to get a three-point shot off. So this, like, P.J. Tucker stretches the floor thing is is over. Like, he just you can't get him up at volume. I think defensively he's not overrated. He's going to be a year older. Two for 15 is fine. Um, I don't know that he's actually going to play a significant role on if this Heat team gets back to the finals. Uh, and like, I could you could convince me that Marquise Morris will actually, like, play more finals minutes at the four than Tucker will. Um, Five for 90 for Duncan Robinson. I, I'm okay with that. Shooting matters. And like, he can totally transform an offense just by like being standing on the court or running around at a million miles an hour, which is more accurate for him. 90 and um, five got me a little bit though. I don't have a problem with it, but I thought it was going to be like four and 70 or, or something like that. Yeah. That's a big number when there weren't a lot of teams that could throw that kind of money at him for sure. Um, but I like, if you're going to pay for that, I keep wanting to get back to the Cavs and Jared Allen. If you're going to pay almost $100 million for five years for someone, do it on a shooter and not a non-stretch center that is like maybe the 15th best player in his position. That's all I'll say. We're not, we are going to follow up with that after this. But yeah, Miami's clearly intriguing for, for obvious reasons. I don't have a problem with the P.J. Tucker deal. There's, it's two years. It's a player option. But they are their window is just – I know Bam Adebayo is young, but it is condensed now. The Jimmy Butler extension takes him through his age 36 season, I believe. Um, yeah, like $57 million that year or something. Yeah, so um, that's – it's a concern. You you pay for Jimmy Butler because he's Jimmy Butler, but it's just interesting how teams kind of threw, like, the age of the player out the window this offseason when you just look at Conley. And I know Chris Paul is the partial guarantee in year three and the, the stuff with year four, obviously. Still, there's some trepidation here because the, the Miami Heat went to a great deal of trouble to, I'm not sure, elevate themselves into the first – tier or even let's even say the let's say the nets are in a tier all their own in the east which i think is fair to say i'm not even sure if you're building yeah. the next tier are you putting miami in the milwaukee i guess philly tier are you putting them in the same tier as milwaukee is the question and look based off pj tucker's instagram post the bucks went into penny pinching mode around the tax which is fucking inexcusable i don't care that you just want a title you didn't build up any goodwill 
as the front office. I see fans like defending the decision. No, no, you have the ability to keep him. Don't protect a billionaire owner pockets. It's just your title window with Giannis is now. And just because he signed, just because you want a title, I'm not here for this. Like, look at all we accomplished. And we've gotten into, I'll say arguments and tiffs, but really just funny banter about this with the Warriors. Yeah. You have a transcendent superstar. You have a, a legitimate big three. That was the other thing. People saying that the Bucs were able to do it without a big three. Let's not discredit how good Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are. They, PJ Tucker was important because of what he brought defensively. He was a complete non-factor on offense. His quarter three-point shooting was sub-32% in the playoffs. There were moments where I thought he wasn't providing enough defense to be on the court offensively. I get it. You didn't have avenues to improve your team. Like getting George Hill back is, is fine. But like, and you kept Bobby Portis, which is great, but that's not a license to be like buy PJ Tucker. And what was the money? You weren't willing to match what he got, or even if it was two and 20, that is, it's, it's inexcusable. It's disgusting. It's grotesque. And it's just a reminder that stop caping for the billionaire team governors here. Just stop. Like it's, I don't care. Like they, they even touted it like at the, um, the championship parade where it was just like, we brought in the best coach and spent on this roster. You did it for one fucking season. Like you spent that money for one season and you won a title that you probably, if we want to play this card, wouldn't have won if Kevin Durant had normal human sized feet. So like, let's just stop. You are not some higher authority on building a championship contender now. And I, I just feel for fans and I feel for the Bucks players who maybe they're still riding that championship high. Do not let Milwaukee skate by on this because it seems like this was not a matter of PJ Tucker wanted to go to Miami. It was a matter of Milwaukee wouldn't pony up to someone who unlocked, I think, certain important combinations with Giannis at the five. And I think you can, or as your primary big, whatever you want to call it, I think there's a world in which next season, at least, PJ Tucker is more important to your postseason rotation than Bobby Portis. I genuinely think that. Yeah, so that's all. That's a whole separate issue. But anyway, I like what Miami did. Would you put them on the same level as Milwaukee, though? Well, so here they made the final, you know, they were in the finals and took two games from the Lakers and it was the bubble. And so everything was different and who knows. But if if you're of the opinion that like they're they could be that good. And let's say hypothetically that Bam gets a little better and Tyler Hero recovers from the sophomore slump and is not necessarily rookie in the playoffs Tyler hero but like a quality like third guard at least um i think there's it's possible that they are in that tier um but that's two years ago now and last year they weren't anything close to that and they've got several players just as they've got guys coming up that are like lowry could be way worse like it could lowry you know declined a little bit last year Butler had the one of the maybe the best year of his career. I don't know if you want to bank on that trajectory continuing as he gets deeper into his thirties. I think there's, I'm just, I'm, I'm equivocating, but I think there's a chance that the heat are in that top tier. Like I wouldn't shock me if they represented the East in the final. It's like, it would be a surprise, but it wouldn't be like, how did they do this? It'd be like, no, oh, they just made it back after making it in 2019. Like that's not the craziest thing in the world. All the nets are going to get hurt again anyway. Right. Or whatever. Um, but like, I think, I, I don't think that there was, they didn't make any, would you say that the, the Heat had any like even questionable, like, or like, let alone like, this is a bad move that they made this offseason? No, and they're the epitome of figure out how to get players when they actually want to, like, that's my whole stance. And look, they haven't, you know, they didn't, em they emptied their cap space clip, but like if Tyler Hero goes boom, 
Um, and now they have like other, like the PJ Tucker salary. I wouldn't suggest moving him, but like the Duncan Robinson salary, once he's eligible to move, I'm not saying look to trade these players, but like you have movable salaries and it's going to get easier for you to trade future first round picks at some point, just based on the protections that you have on the, what is it? The 2023 one that they owed Oklahoma city. I'm, I'm all over the place right now. So I'll look up that just to confirm it. So like they could, in theory, if Tyler Hero plays better, no, they're not going to add Bradley Beal to this team. I don't think they would anyway. I mean, if he has out at the trade deadline, I don't think Hero and Robinson and, you know, a future pick or two does it, but like there are still avenues for them to improve this team on the trade market. They are, however, hard caps to like that get after the Lowry signing trades. Like that's definitely something to, uh, that gets confusing. And yeah, it's a 2023 first round pick to Oklahoma city that really just, you know, screwed up there their pick commitments and they're just, they've decided that second round picks don't exist in their book essentially, which I respect it. So I don't, there's no questionable move. I would have done everything that they did. Um, Giving Lowry, I think it's three years and 87 is what it amounts to, unless there's other moving parts in that sign and trade that I I didn't factor in just based on the calculations of what they could give him. You could argue that that's a little bit iffy, but he didn't play a good chunk of last year. And he like didn't have the wear and tear on him before he really entered his prime just because he bounced all over the league and people weren't really sure what he was. Maybe that age is fine. If you get two years of Kyle Lowry being Kyle Lowry on this three-year deal, it's 100% worth it. And so, and because entering the third year, there's no immovable contract. We have seen it time and time again. There's no such thing. You get two good years out of Lowry. The the last year is easier to move and get off of and the heat have proven they could rejigger. I, I think they... I think they clearly are one of the winners of this offseason. I'm just curious to see how much it actually elevates their ceiling because some of, look, their spacing could still be wonky. Jimmy Butler's decided he's not shooting threes. Bam mid-range game, Bam's mid-range game helps, but like he needs to step beyond the three-point line. If Tucker's not being higher volume and efficient from the corners, it gets a it gets a little wonky. Uh, but they have I, I keep coming back to you, they have a swing piece that teams in their positions really normally don't have in Tyler Hero. They actually probably need him to be their third guard now because you are looking at their rotation and it's like, okay, you have Jimmy Butler and you have uh, Kyle Lowry who are really going to give you playmaking and scoring from the point of attack. That's kind of it though, unless I'm missing somebody on their, their depth chart right now. So then you, you do need Tyler here on a step up. Who'd you say? The mighty Max Struess. Yeah. Time. That's Gabe Vincent. Don't forget about him either. Uh, and like Bam can facilitate from the elbows and lead fast breaks. We know that, but they, they need Tyler hero to be, and they dabbled with him at point guard this year. So I like what they've done. I just question, I wouldn't undo anything that they've done. I think this might be a situation where we need to take a step back and be like, they're not suddenly the second best team in the Eastern conference. Are you ready to talk about my next team is the New York Knicks. I was going to ask you what you thought about the Knicks because you got a little more skin in the game on that. You're wearing a Knicks, you're wearing a skin tight Knicks shirt right now. You've already That's just to it. intimidate you to make it look like I I have been working out. Uh, look, here I don't think any everything they did, nothing is terrible. Four and seventy eight for Evan Fournier caught me off, caught me off guard. The third year is uh, the fourth year. Excuse me, it's a team option. That's fine. I believe Burks and Noel the final two the last year on each of those deals is also non guaranteed. I haven't seen anything on the Rose stuff. I wouldn't have given out that Rose contract. I think it's bad on its face for someone who hasn't proven that he can stay healthy. I know he merged as an important cog in their offensive machine last year, but if it's the year 2021 and Derek Rose is that mission critical to your offense, it's probably time to rethink the people that are mission critical to your offense would be my official stance. What I have an issue with, and the other thing I want to say is people, when I tweeted about this, they came at me and said, none of these deals are removable. That's great. That's not the goal of free agency. Nor am I saying that they could have gotten better players because I think it's quite clear that Miami wasn't going to let Duncan Robinson walk if they gave him five and 90. Kyle Lowry wasn't considering the Knicks. Mike Conley wasn't considering the Knicks. 
it's just they didn't do anything this offseason that shows me they have a long-term vision intact. And that was what I think they had received a lot of credit for leading into this year. Yes, there's still the development of Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin and RJ Barrett, but had they even done anything like taken an actual swing on draft night, drafted Keon Johnson, a project to show that, hey, we're still married to developing prospects long-term. And I know there are people that like um, Deuce McBride. I know there are people that like uh, Quentin Grimes. That's fine. They didn't take a swing in my book. And I think at minimum, that's what they should have done this offseason. They didn't do it in free agency. They focused predominantly on talent retention. Evan Fournier's deal might age okay because he's very plug and play. He's probably overrated as the secondary playmaker, but I think he might be underrated as someone who can hit pull-up threes and just threes in general. They didn't, but again, it's the, it feels like they don't have a central vision. And I understand the need to be able to pivot, but this is not some grander plan to have contracts that you can move in a Damian Millard or Bradley Beal trade because no one is looking at Alec Burks or Nerlens Noel or Evan Fournier or Derek Rose as, oh, that's short-term salary fodder that we can just gobble up and makes it super easy. And I'm not even saying that they needed to conserve cap space because we just talked about how free agency might just not be, even for bigger markets, as attractive of a rebuilding mechanism as it once was. It might more so be, let's be competent, and a player or two will eventually demand a trade to us. And the Knicks, maybe that's what they're trying to do, but they're not like they don't have these these tons of high-end assets. They have future picks galore, that's fine. But the Charlotte, this is where like this is dating back to my draft night impressions on them. People were arguing that the lure of the the allure of the Charlotte 2022 pick does more for your trade prospects than selecting anyone at number 19 would have. And no, but maybe. But like it's you're not getting a lottery pick. The best pick you're getting is is 15 at any point in in over the years it's protected. You, I want I wanted to see them take a swing then because the whole point of this is that there might not be a star that comes there. And if there is, if Damian Lillard S her out, because you don't have the cornerstone type player to trade the Blazers, I don't think it's maybe RJ Barrett's that player, but I think now you're entering year three, sellers become inherently lower on those guys because of their next contract. It's like, so you, you have top in, you have quickly, you have Grimes, like those aren't moving that type of needle. And you're not using these. If you think Fournier or Rose or Burks or, or Noel. And I want to make it clear. I would have, if, if the third year on both the Noel and Burke signings are non-guaranteed, I would sign them to those contracts again. Mitchell Robinson's cheap enough to where him and Noel combined to make under 15 million next year. And so you have one year then where you're maybe overpaying for the center position. If you keep Robinson Burks was just really important to their offense in the fourth quarters last year and put up some ridiculous shot making. I don't need, again, I'm not even mad about the Fournier deal. The Rose one is the one that I think is just the worst by far. They needed to take a bigger swing. And I think it was easier to do that in the draft. And I know it, maybe I'm oversimplifying it by saying, had they taken even Keon Johnson, which I think was something everyone knew the front office wasn't going to do. But had they done something like that, or even in free agency, like just focused on getting going younger to some regard, I would have respected that more than the talent retention plus Evan Fournier thing. It feels like they're sort of wandering in the middle now. And I don't think them trying to upkeep last year's performance made the most sense without also making in tandem some type of swing somewhere. And they didn't do that. I want to make that clear. And I don't think last year was a fluke from Julius Randle. I tend to think it was more real than not. Ditto for RJ Barrett's development. Ditto for the flashes Toppin showed towards the end of the year. But there's a very real pathway where the Knicks are better and maybe eighth or ninth in the East, just because of the way the structure is. And that's in the grand scheme, fine. But when you've invested in kind of not doing that, 
it becomes a problem to me. So nothing they did was gross or egregious on its face, but the absence of something to plan around your long-term, whether it was taking a bigger swing in the draft or doing something more inspirational in free agency. Uh, that's, you know, why not use some of your cap space? There was unwanted money out there. We saw it with Derek Favors and what the Jets, like something even like that. So that's where I landed up on them. I am thoroughly uninspired, discouraged by their offseason. I know a lot of Knicks fans disagree. It's just, I never would have done the Derek Rose deal. That's the one that I'll be like, I think it's going to come back to, to bite them probably or just not look great. But overall, I think you can be like, oh, I don't hate anything they did. If you want this team to act like a normal team, it's time to start incrementally moving the bar up beyond. We just want them to act like they don't suck. And I don't think this front office sucks. But again, I just think this offseason was thoroughly, totally, unequivocally uninspiring. That is my rant. I apologize. I had, I had spittle flying out of my mouth, as I was saying. I love it. I love it. Um, can we take a second to appreciate the irony of saying the Knicks did not take enough aggressive big swings in their transaction game. Like, cause that's, you know, them making foolish decisions. You go back 20 years or, or, or going all in too soon or, or, you know, signing this veteran to, too, to deal that's too much, the Carmelo Anthony, all this, this, that, and the other, like, and now it's like, they were too conservative or they didn't go for it. Like, I agree with you, but it's kind of wild that like, that's the stance now on the Knicks, which is that like, they, they didn't go for it, which was like the whole reason they've one of the main reasons they've been kind of irrelevant and bad is that they go for it too often and they go for the wrong thing. So that's fun. But so if you, what the surprised me most is, you know, they were one of just a very small number of teams that had significant cap space. Then they and the Spurs really had the most spending power to do something with. Were you surprised that at least as far as the reporting went, that they were not factors in any of the big restricted agents. Like, would you, I, 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 this is maybe a rhetorical thing, but like, wouldn't you feel better if they had thrown like a four year, 95, a hundred at Lonzo at, instead of Derek Rose and Fournier? Like, how would you feel? Or John Collins? Like, can we just beat the market on John Collins? Not an ideal fit on this roster, obviously, but like, would, would it have been better if they had just said, effort like we're getting this mid-20s guy young early to mid-20s guy for whatever it takes we're going to pay 20 percent above you know what anybody else is willing to do would that have made you feel better about it i was a big opponent of the lonzo ball signing because i think you need the actual floor general to pair with him for it mm -hmm. to make sense which they didn't have and i wouldn't have you know let's say him and um derrick rose instead of having you know, two of Fournier Noel, but I wouldn't have liked that. And mm -hmm. so I'm not trying to be hypocritical here, but that might've at least shown, okay, well, they were taking a bigger swing on this youngster or had you then gone, they still could have, there were other maneuvers to go. Okay. If we had Lonzo who's kind of fulfilling the Evan Fournier role at this point, he's not hitting the same off the dribble jumpers, but we'll stretch the floor and he's going to give you more defensively then go out and spend on one of the other point guard Reggie Jackson still floating around on the market. I didn't want to see Dennis Schroeder within 10 feet of this team. And so I'm trying to be realistic about the free agent market, but just in combination with the draft and what they did in free agency, that's what I think is so uninspiring about it. And what was, you know, what was the market for Derek Rose that the third year had to be in there? Yeah. And so, and just, what was the market for Evan Fournier that he had the leverage to get more than two guaranteed years out of there? There was the, the report about him haggling over that fourth year. And it's like, 
well, what was the leverage? Because the Celtics were clearly all about 2022. If they cared about flexibility, they were never in on Evan Fournier because he wasn't signing a one plus one with them. And I just want to know what was the market out there for that? I'm largely, I could look at every signing move the Knicks made this offseason, and there's a logic behind it, but I can't tether it together. And so I view this offseason as a big ass meh from them. And yes, I think if you're asking me, would I prefer them to have given Lonzo that contract versus let's say signing Burks and Rose, maybe, but I'm just, if you know, like I would rather have suffered the downgrade on at the point guard position than given Rose this deal. If I'm them, because let's not try and be the, the seven or eight seed necessarily next year then. So I'm again, it's tough because I'm sure there were limited options available to them based on how free agency unfolded, but there were teams that got creative with, with what they did. And I'm not saying they even should have given DeRozan that money. Um, there were a lot of people that wanted him in New York. You could have had Evan Fournier. It just, they went one too far for me with the Derrick Rose signing and just the lack of ingenuity on draft night to me was just, it was met. And that's how I view their off season overall. So maybe it's, this works out for them somehow, but I don't know what the best case scenario with them is. I'm not saying they need to have a better record, even a higher seed in the East, but what are they working towards right now? That's my thing is what are they working towards? And I can't necessarily identify that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. It feels a little bullsy to me. You know, when we talked about, or in my opinion, anyway, like they're just, they're going to try to be better than they were slash pretty good. And I guess they're okay with that. Maybe that's giving, you know, that's, that's assuming that they didn't just make a bunch of mistakes. The Knicks kind of, this feels like that kind of feels like what the Knicks are doing. Like Fournier is like, I'm just reiterating, which is, that all these deals individually are they're okay other than maybe roses and so i guess it feels more disappointing that the knicks maybe are just kind of doing the same thing of like hey let's stick one of one they were way better than the bulls last year so it's sort of like shows a lack of ambition i guess to say like let's kind of stick there and you know let's try to be a fourth fifth sixth seed or whatever i do think i know you don't like this angle on it but i do think that there are worse things than having like more future first coming in than you've got going out and some tradable numbers on your cap sheet. Like, I think if you want to be charitable, like, you know, that is a sort of a silver lining. Like that's an out, that's an avenue towards getting better. There are a lot of hypotheticals involved in a lot of things that would have to happen is the right player would have to want to get out of town. You'd want to have to go to the Knicks. The team that's trading him would want to have to take whatever Burks and for, you know, whatever. But, like, there is flexibility there. Um, but I understand how that's disappointing when you go into the offseason, like, theoretically trying to get a lot better and you have the most cap space uh, in the league. So I, I get that. I, I do think that it's not – it's disappointing, but it's not, like – it's not catastrophic. The Knicks have had catastrophic seasons. No. So, so I think, you know, in framed that way, it's a, maybe it's a little bit of progress. I don't know. Yeah, again, if you told me this is how their free agency played out and they're like, you know, we don't really expect like the where we want both players, like two stars to come in or demand a trade. And if assuming that's what they're working towards, which I assume it is just based off how this offseason played out, like we expect that's the timeline for stars to demand a trade. Like Damian Miller has so much time left on his deal. Maybe we're kind of wondering what eventually happens with a Carl Anthony Towns or a Devin Booker or a, you know, just whoever. I'm just throwing names out there. And I'm not even saying they should have conserved their powder. Again, we had that free agency discussion. The lack of swings then in the draft, there needed to be just a bigger picture 
bigger picture bite at the apple this offseason somewhere. And I didn't see any. So that's why I am discouraged. Do you have another team, though, that you're fascinated by after all these free agency happenings? I mean, we should probably talk about the Warriors. Um, I, there's not a ton to talk about, but I know, I know we, we kind of come at it from differing uh, viewpoints. Uh, so obviously the biggest thing is that the least surprising thing is the, the Steph Curry second 200 plus million dollar extension. Um, but then getting Otto Porter for the minimum and getting Nemanja Bielitsa for the minimum. Um, per, obviously, personally, I would have, I think everybody was hoping for Nick Batum, um, which didn't happen, but, but I, I, I mean, really if the Warriors aren't willing to spend the taxpayer mid-level exception, they weren't going to get Nick Batum. I find that <laughs> to be absolutely absurd, but please carry on. Well, well, Dan, I, as I, as a defender of billionaires, I would like to say that had they used, if they used that taxpayer mid-level, it's actually going to cost them like thirty-one million dollars instead of the five point nine or whatever because of all the penalties. So I wish you would just be a little more sensitive to Joe Lacob's uh, <laughs> like spending. You know, I did right? ask you. You texted me something similar where you were like, "They won three titles." When I said I think it's ridiculous, they won't spend a taxpayer mid-level exception, and I was like, "Are you a closet billionaire?" And just not telling me. I would argue that's fair if you didn't think there was someone worth a mini MLE on the market, but like, you know, I feel like there clearly are players who are, and maybe there's still stuff to figure out, but um, I'm only rambling because your screen froze in front of me. So I just wanted to make sure I didn't have to edit this out of the podcast, but like, where do you, I think their minimum signings were good, but how do you, do you legitimately feel like, yeah, you know what? They really shouldn't use the mini MLE because there's no one worth that. Or are you of the mind, like throw money out of the equation. Doesn't it make sense to be like, we should look at bringing back Kelly Oubre Jr. So we have this trade chip at midseason potentially, or can we broker a sign and trade now and maybe get back a trade exception that we can use later on? I just, you know, you, yes, you keep Steph and you have Clay coming back, but you didn't think a star, a trade for a star, put them like a Bradley Beal, put them in the pantheon of current contenders. So how are we supposed to view them like without sort of, and I'm, look, the market for stars it's not. It's clearly not available. Bradley Beal doesn't want to leave Washington. Zach Levine isn't available in Chicago. They are at the behest, unless they want Pascal Siakam. It seems of what who's available to them. But just like I don't, I don't have a problem with their offseason because I don't know that anyone was better was available. But to say that you won't spend the mini MLE, which is basically like Joe Lacob has hinted at that a million times and said he's okay straddling two timelines. I GTFO to me on that. Just you have, <laughs> you have Stephen Curry. You have Stephen Curry. I don't care. I don't care about your three titles. You've had two gap years. That's the that's the goodwill that you got. Is you had two gap years, couldn't figure it out, and the Clay Thompson injury hurts. But you and you know what? I first of all, I'm I don't buy a a thing that they say because they acquired D'Angelo Russell without the intention of trading him. Grant, did you know that? So <laughs> I'm I'm not buying anything. But there's I'm very skeptical. That Stephen Curry is spoiled. That front office. That team governorship into thinking that they are smarter than they actually are. And I, I like their draft picks, by the way. Kaminga's a nice swing. Moses Moody feels like a help right away. And I get, I don't think that the trade was out there that they could have made. So I'm not going to dump all over them for keeping it. But miss me with the, oh, whoa, whoa, the mini MLE. Like, let's, let's calm down. Yeah, well, this will alienate some percentage of the audience, but like... 99% because you're going to defend the 1%. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. <laughs> Not quite that much, but it's like, it's sort of like when you're buying a house where it's, you know, you make an offer and then the seller maybe counters at like 
a few thousand dollars more and you're like, oh no, I got to draw the line somewhere. When like in reality, it's like a fraction of a percentage of the money that you were very, very willing to pay, like right up until that counter offer showed up. So it's like, yeah, the Warriors have a $347 million payroll with the tax thrown onto there. And if you use that five point that the taxpayers mid-level, it goes to 379 or something like that is what I think I saw. And so it's like, well, shit, man, we're in this far. Like, let's just do it. And who cares? Like, I think I, you know, honestly, in my heart of hearts, like, yeah, of course I wanted to use the, the, and this is my fan coming out. I don't have, I don't have a Warriors skin tight shirt, but there is a Draymond bobblehead behind me somewhere. You can probably see. Um, yeah, I want him to use that. I want him to sign and trade Kelly Oubre for like a guy who's going to be a, you know, a rotation player. I want him to do all that stuff. Uh, but like, I think, I think in addition to the money thing, I, I really do think that they're trying to play both sides and like split the difference between, look, we got this aging core. We're going to try to supplement this roster with, well, like with veterans, which I think both of their minimum signings accomplish that job, not done because this team did not have enough NBA caliber players on the roster last year. Um, but I, I think that addresses sort of like, we got to try to win now, but I mean, even go back to last year, I think the Wiseman pick was, we kind of want to bridge, like we don't want to fall flat after the, you know, Steph Curry and, and Steph play and Draymond age out. I think Kaminga, you could argue that like he's maybe drafted to be traded because he has, you know, the, high, the highest feeling certainly of anybody at that draft slot. But like, I think it's also like, hey, there's a scenario where in like four years, Kaminga and Wiseman, highly unlikely based on what we saw from Wiseman last year, but he's so young. There's a scenario where like these are our cornerstones now and like steps 36 and he's a great floor spacer. And like, I think, I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to like, it's the light years thing, right? If we're being super charitable to the Warriors that they're not trying to win three championships, they're trying to win, you know, twice that many with a totally new core, like for the next three, like that really is, I think the level of their ambition. Uh, so that does not address uh, your frustration with them not spending or using every resource they could. Uh, but like, I think that's their plan. I think, I think that's, that's the end goal is like, we're not, we're not just catering to this core now. We're trying to sort of do both and probably it's not going to work, but I think, I think that's the way to go or that's what they're doing. I don't know. I'm not endorsing that. I think that's what's happening. First of all, I don't know that it, like Patty Mills seems like he might have chosen the Nets over them, so they might have. I'm not even criticizing them for not spending it yet, but Green, I'm criticizing them. What's that? Go get Danny Green. I, if he could be had for the like taxpayers mid level, what is Philly doing? First of all, if he wants uh, to leave Philly for that, so I'm not even criticizing them for not using it. It's the report coming out. Uh, I think Anthony Slater of the Athletic mentioned that on, on 97.5. Uh, 95.7, excuse me, that, or whatever the station is. I don't, I don't live out there. I don't know. But that they probably didn't prefer not to use it. Like, that's what I'm going to take issue with. Even though that there might not be, I wouldn't have given it to Otto Porter. I would have given it to Nick Batum, but why would he leave the Clippers? The other thing they did not address, though, which is going to be a problem for them is like, and I don't know that they could have. So this isn't me dumping on them for it. They still need like the second shot creator. Like they just don't. They just don't have him. Unless you think that's Jordan Poole is going to play a ton of point guard that's going to work. That's exactly who I think it is, Dan. You you got to give Jordan Poole his flowers. This man went down to the G League and returned a Titan. Like, this guy... He's a point guard? So much better. He got so much better. Like, look, it was like a hot couple months, right? And, like, everything before that... 
I'm I'm pretty sure on this podcast I have said Jordan Poole is not an NBA player at some point, and I'm so I'm totally is, wrong. I just in my defense, everybody thought that. Bl- blink twice if Bob Myers and Joe Lacob are in the room with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm telling you, I I'm on the Jordan Poole bandwagon. I don't know how rational I'm being about it, but I do think that he is the like if he is your second unit shot creator. I I feel like okay about that, so provided they put not two way guys and G League guys and retreads around him because like he's pretty good with the ball in his hands. He he's from because it was not here even in, like for the first half of the 2020-21 season. Like it just he something happened and he just became like a good sixth man. So I feel okay about that, but obviously, like if he and Steph are your only guys that can do anything to make a play, like that's still a problem. So hopefully, for their sake, this they, they, if they do something to replace the Michael Mulder slot on the roster, it's somebody that can like. I mean, because otherwise, what is it going to be? Nico Mannion, like who actually has looked good in the Olympics, but are we? Is he going to be? Unless I'm forgetting, Jack Smiley. Somebody. They could bring him back, I guess. Smiley is done. He is out. That experiment is over. Yeah, for now they could bring him back. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, give him the keys while we're at it. Why not? I was so high on him too, man. I've had a lot. No, of you weren't. Before. Please tell me you weren't. I was. I was. I. I. I drank the Kool Aid. I was like, oh, they totally stashed this guy, and they kept other teams from looking at him because they hoarded him in Santa Cruz, and he just like was beyond not ready. So I, I want to ask you two more things. The other thing, team, I think probably needs to be talked about, and then I'm. I'm just curious about your thoughts on the Western Conference hierarchy now. But the Raptors a befuddling off season. I know that sign and trades teams don't have a ton of leverage and the heat did have cap space, but Lowry clearly wanted a little bit more money. Um, and I'm not even sure how much money he stood to make. You know, if he would, I think the heat only had like, tw- like could have started him at 23 and maybe now he's going to be at like 25, whatever it is. So, but precious Chua and Goran Dragic is very not inspiring when you could have had more at the trade deadline for him and then basically shut him down after that the, i don't understand the sam decker signing they needed a, someone who was going to campaign for um the oppression of white culture on the team i guess so they they I checked that about him damn it they, they checked that box apparently we want to believe that the raptors are just like this basketball like you know utopia where they're they're getting these uh, you know they're getting these fringe guys they're turning them into the real players and they're going to be competitive and they're going to you know, be hyperactive on, on defense. We need to start holding them to a higher bar then, because this is just like, yeah, okay. Maybe they did Lowry a solid. And I think Dragic can help them if they're trying to compete next year, like just, you know, pair him with Fred Van Fleet. And he's still going to put some pressure on half court defenses, even though he's older. And I do think the gap between him and Kyle Lowry is definitely significant, especially obviously on, on defense, but like precious Achua is your main squeeze there. And are, are you rebuilding? Are you not rebuilding? The Siakam rumors are getting louder that he was just sort of readily available. You went with Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs, which I guess is fine, but I'm, I don't understand what they're doing. Masai is still a free agent, apparently, and making decisions for this team. Um, what are you going to do with Dragic? I think, and you know, maybe Philly wasn't actually willing to give up their reported offer because they knew that Lowry was infatuated, infatuated with Miami, and so that factored into you keeping him. But like, just, I don't, you could have gotten more for Kyle Lowry at the trade deadline if all you were going to accept with Dragic and, and Precious Achua. So unless you really thought that he was going to consider coming back, which I don't think that was based on what happened in Fridgey. I don't think that was ever on the cards for, for either party. And Masai was pretty open that he thought he had moved 
Lowry, I think to either Philly or, um, or the Lakers. So I just, I don't know how to feel about their, I'm fine with the Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs um, swing. That doesn't really bother me. I'm just not really sure what they're doing. And it feels like they might lack a little bit of aim right now. Yeah. Which you can understand when the guy, that's been making your decisions most of which have been very good for the last several years like might or might not be back like i'm, I'm sure that there's you know it's it's got to be more difficult to have sort of a uh i don't know to have your your goals aligned and your plans in order i i mean i think to your to your point like i don't think Dragic is going to be on this team this season i think the this Dragic to dallas stuff feels like pretty legitimate to me as you know there, they'll move him on there was a report from the athletic that dallas didn't want to give i think it was the athletic that dallas didn't want to give up dwight powell in that deal and yeah. i'm like uh why I, I i assumed they would want to and would have to compensate toronto accordingly to get dwight powell off in that yeah deal. well and that's the thing like I, my point is, is i think the raptors will look worse like at, you know the the lowry signing trade will they will have gotten less after they move dragic i think dragic can still play and he kind of makes sense as a second guard there with van vliet um but i think he's not going to be on the team and if if in fact the package coming back is headlined by dwight powell i think we're worse even though you know toronto does need a center um but yeah i i don't know i i still like i still like their core because I, I like van vliet i think you and i agree that ananobi is someone that like if he pops it would not be remotely surprising if he were just suddenly like a, has a Siakam type leap and he's a most improved guy and whatever. I still think Siakam's a good player. I think Scotty Barnes makes a lot of sense. I was surprised they didn't take Suggs, but if in theory Barnes can't shoot, that's a big problem. But in theory, if like, well, we're losing Lowry, we need another playmaker, right? Why not take the guy that's six, eight, that's a playmaker instead of the combo guard. I, I don't know. I, I think the Raptors have a lot of potential and talent. I, I'm in the bag for them. I'm on the record, you know, to that, you know, having said that several times, um, so I might not be the most unbiased uh, commentator on them, but I don't know. I I do think they're they do seem a little muddled, but in the end, um, I don't know that they they have enough talent and like kind of the right kind of talent. They got all they got wings. They got you know I still like them. Uh, the Trent signing felt a little rich to me. I don't know. Did we did you talk specifically about that? I think it's three for fifty four. Which, which he's he's still only 22 so it's yeah. like and that's what kind of muddies their future a little bit is like okay he's young but that does sort of infer that you're looking to compete now yeah so and so i don't have a big issue with it i just i the I, the way the lowry stuff played out is just so weird weird relative to what could have happened at the deadline for them and so i don't know what and just the like that in conjunction with how loud the siakam chatter got around the draft like that was just really that was just really bizarre to me and, and like they're not barren now that lowry's gone and you know it should be noted they had when trent siakam van fleet and og played without lowry last year the Raptors were a plus 5.8 per 100 possessions it's a limited sample size but if you factor out if you filter out trent and go with the larger sample size of those three guys the Raptors were still in net plus like they were a team that was just so much better than their record this was sort of it could have been a one-year it, it could be a one-year tank so i just don't know, like are they committed to that they didn't really do much in free agency though aside from the lowry thing and then keeping grant uh grant trent so i'm i'm just i'm not down I, the, the sam decker signing is bullshit i think that's that's dumb as hell but the uh, i'm not down on their future i just have less of a feel for it than i thought i did and i didn't have a great feel for it entering the offseason Maybe the feel needs to be, 
and look, I think we both wanted Lowry to come back, but maybe the feel is there are a lot of worse decisions than not paying a guard $90 million for his age, 35, 36 and 37 seasons. Like maybe that's just, you know, cause look, there are a lot of older players. I think Henry Abbott for true who did something today or yesterday about like over 33 players are basically are almost never elite. Like, and that's 33. And like, there are a bunch of guys, you know, Butler, Curry, Lowry, Conley, Paul, that are going to be making money past the third. Most of those guys are already past 33. And just maybe training is better now and maybe guys last longer, but it might make sense to be one of the teams that just doesn't do that and commit a huge chunk of your cap to guys that are going to decline full stop but like might just completely like fall off and be like albatross contracts. Like some, I think we can don't without saying who, I don't know who, but some of these guys are these big deals. Like they're, they will be, you know, Kevin Love can't be the worst contract in the league forever. Like we're going to get some new entrants into that conversation. And a lot of them are the guys that are getting paid this off season. I'm, I'm with you there. So I'm curious as the East is a different discussion, but you look at the West. I mean, that could, it could technically lead into a larger conversation about what some of these other teams did. I thought, you know, I'm a big Phoenix guy. I don't think this season was a fluke and I would, I could still pick them to come out of the West next year, but to burn half of your non-taxpayers level on JaVale McGee was questionable when Portland's out there signing Cody Zeller for the, the minimum. And I think, I think Zeller problem staying healthy, but is the overall better player. If you want more of a rim runner, obviously, and rim protector McGee makes sense. Like they didn't, you know, Tory Craig leaves, they get Nader back. Uh, but you look at the Western Conference power structure here, and I think this sort of dovetails with what we were talking about with the Warriors. Who are the guaranteed playoff teams? You know, in fact, we got factor in the Kawhi injury, the Murray injury in Denver. Uh, Reggie Jackson hasn't resigned with the Clippers, although I expect him to. I, I thought we'd get some news while recording this at basically t- midnight Eastern time on uh, Wednesday, technically. I thought we'd get some free agency news, but we didn't. So, like, who are your guaranteed lock playoff teams in the West right now? Make any assumptions you have to, like RJ going back to to the Clippers. Yeah, it's hard. I was just looking at the things from last year, and it would be a lot easier to just try to pick the one or two that are going to fall out. Um, Memphis would be – Memphis is in my sights in that regard. But um, I saw the Lakers are are lock, right? Like, they have yep. to, the Lakers have to be a lock right there. Um, I uh, – Utah's a lock. They're going to make the playoffs. Phoenix is a lock. So what are we? Yeah, Three. I mean, Dallas is Dallas. I'm starting to feel less locky about them. Um, the Clippers, sure. And now we're talking, you know, we're out of lock territory because we're now talking about like Portland and Golden State. And I don't know that I think any of the teams that were out of the play-in mix are going to jump up. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's It was kind of muddled this past season. It might be more muddled now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I mean Utah. Utah is gonna. If Utah's the one seed again, that's not gonna surprise me at all. Yeah, they still feel like they just still need that like bigger wing for the playoffs, and maybe the option right. of playing smaller in certain matchups, and they just don't have it. But I agree with you on the locks. Um, I think the Clippers are still there. I think the Jazz, the Suns, the Lakers, the Nuggets are still there. So that's five. I don't know how to feel about the Mavericks because I like their option. By the way, that was my other qualm with the Knicks if that's what it costs to keep Reggie oh, Bullock go yeah. ahead and keep Reggie Bullock oh my yeah. god over Burks at least I mean just pay a little more for like I don't understand that one at all I 
Uh, the, the load he carried for them defensively last year, and like I get he can't put the ball on the floor, but like who is their their best wing defender now is RJ Barrett, which is I think he might be fine defensively, but yeah, I don't you know so. But I like Dallas's offseason. They're still just like missing that second shot creator that they needed. I would pencil them in because it's a Luca, and because Kristaps Porzingis will be healthy. I'm just going to go ahead and say they're a lock. And I'm really at the point where it's like, you know, unless Dame demands a trade, why won't Portland make it? They did pony up to keep Norman Powell. It is objectively hysterical that Dame said, if you look at the roster right now, I don't think coaches, a, a coaching change makes us a title contender. And the Blazers proceeded to just sign three minimum guys. Uh, yeah. And but, so, you know, there's not, they didn't have all this flexibility, but it is objectively hysterical that that's the, the, the series of events right now. I honestly think the way it looks, is that the Warriors jump up, Memphis drops out, and that's it. Because I don't see a team in the playing territory that made – I don't – like, are the – I guess are, – are the Pelicans better? I, I guess. And the other thing we didn't mention, by the way, is they did get Jonas Valanciunas. So anyone who didn't listen to the Pelicans, like, all the way through and is mad at the Pelicans segment, they did get Jonas Valanciunas, who is, like, somewhat a better fit offensively, but not so much defensively than Steven Adams. So I, I think it's going to – that would be my prediction right now. Maybe there's a trade that shakes up this landscape, but it's 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 at once hard to figure out. If you ask me to pick who's going to be like the exact seeds in the West, that's where I think it's wide open. You could, if you told me that Portland was like two, and like they keep their, but I'll believe it. You can tell me whatever you want among the eight teams I picked. I just don't know. I, I thought there was going to be more of a more urgency in the play-in territory of teams getting better to try and leap up. Like like does Minnesota have a chance here? Um, and look, the offseason, there's plenty of offseason off left. So maybe there's a bigger trade that we're not seeing. It always seems like there's one of them. I just, the Western Conference is tough to figure out when you're trying to pinpoint it exactly. At the same time, it feels like not enough has changed within the top eight, where it's like, that's what's of interest. It's no longer this, oh, there's like 10 or 12 teams that are going to be so fascinating. Yeah, well, and I think to that point, like you look at the cutoff after the 10th seed, the, uh, after the play-in eligible teams, and the Pelicans are, if you go up to eight, just say eight. So the Grizzlies were the eighth seed, and the Pelicans were the, the closest that tied with the Kings. They were tied for 11. That's a seven-game gap in the standings. So, like, there's a huge, there already was a huge gap between, you know, the, the playoffs, excluding the play-in, because whatever, and, and the top eight seed. So, like, I, none of the teams that were, like, way out of the did anything close to enough to, to close that gap. So, I, you know, we say this every year. It's always hard to pick, like, who's going to jump in, who's going to fall out. I think the Warriors and Lakers have the most room to move up the West standings just for obvious reasons. But other than that, like, I mean, who of your locks, let's just let's play a stupid game. Of the locks, who's the most likely to, to slip out? Like, I, just looking at it now, I could I could see that I'm focusing on the Nuggets and the Blazers. One, because I don't know, the Nuggets just seem way, way too high as the third seed from last year. That seems like that didn't happen. And the Blazers could blow it up. Like that's those are my those are my two. I guess the Clippers, I don't know. What do you the, the Clippers might be my pick because there's a real chance that Kawhi to me doesn't play next season. And sure. they're, you know, a significantly worse team with that. Like if Reggie Jackson doesn't come back or doesn't have like an encore to what he was doing in the postseason, or if Nick Batum who led your team in regular season minutes played doesn't have another renaissance. You're in real trouble there. Or Terrence Mann doesn't win you a, more than one playoff game. Right. <laughs> like, do 
So I would say they probably have the most dropout potential. You could also throw Portland in there because, like you said, the potential to to blow it up. Where I don't know, does Dame ag- agitate for a trade midseason? I would have said no. I said it felt like we're at least a year early on all of this. But if the Blazers don't do anything else, where it's like, hey, here's Cody Zeller, let's move forward. This is yeah. the team, and you're just not that good. Then maybe that escalates the situation in the middle of the year. I so I don't. It's the West is is bizarre to me, but I, you know, I think some of the teams, like I think the Jazz, given what they had, they did, you know, they had to give up dumping Derek Favors' salary, came with an opportunity cost, but I think they, the Rudy Gay signing I like, it's not mm-hmm. the athleticism they need on the wings. Um, it looks like they're willing to pay the tax unless they're going to dump Boyan Bogdanovich, Clarkson, or Joe Ingles at some point during the year. Um, and they would need to dump, I think, two of those guys to even have a prayer of exiting the tax right now. So like that's kind of cool to see. I think Phoenix is still going to be really good. I was hoping they would do something a little bit bigger. Um, Adam argued on this podcast that they don't need to. And I would agree that if your angle is to be, let's get in the top four, top five and enter the playoffs, they didn't need to make these seismic changes, but it still feels like they're a, you know, another wing or like backup big, like, or a versus like a four or five guy short where I said, Imagine if they could trade. I think Larry Nance Jr. would be a fantastic trade target oh. for them. But they they unloaded their number 29 pick to get Landry Shamit. And so, like, I think that would have been, you know, Jalen Smith, what type of trade value does he have after his first year? He doesn't necessarily have that cachet of a number 10 pick. Dario Sarge's money is now dead money because he tours ACL for all of next year. I also entertained, I got killed for this when I suggested it. But if a scenario came where you could get Pascal Siakam in a deal that didn't cost you Mikhail Bridges, but it cost you DeAndre Ayton. Would you do it? And I said 100%. Um, I, got, I, got, I got destroyed, annihilated in the comment section of the suggestion. It was on YouTube, and I think I might have suggested it in an article I wrote. Maybe Siakam's not that big enough of an upgrade, but it does feel like they need another creator who's not Cameron Payne on this team, and Siakam could technically satisfy that. I'm not saying give up the James Harden trade package for Pascal Siakam, but I like Pascal Siakam's fit. On the sun. So in this scenario, is Siakam playing center for them full time? Is he starting at center? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're giving up what are you? I mean, you could sign another big for for not that I'm that's the other thing. It's just like if Zeller signed the minimum, was JaVel McGee worth half your MLE? Yeah, CP3 recruited him. Like in a, the screenshot that went viral about CP3 recruiting JaVel McGee was actually the moment that CP3 was apparently recruiting J- JaVel McGee. So <laughs> shout out to Twitter on that one. But the West landscape is wild and I'm not disappointed. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in the Suns offseason. They had limited tools, but I thought after the way that the D- CP3 deal is structured, it lowers his immediate salary and basically ensured they could have the bigger MLE. And then to use most of it on JaVale McGee was just like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I will say the campaign signing I thought was one of the best value plays of the whole offseason, of the whole they, so. Look, they won the minutes he played without Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the regular season last year. That's that's actually huge. Yeah. And I, like everything about, I mean, you know, granted there's, there's this, you know, he was done and then he emerges in the bubble and suddenly he's like a really high end backup point guard that could maybe even start for some teams. Um, but I, I think everything he did last year is, is sustainable and real. So to get like one of the best backup point guards on a team where your point guard is a hundred years old, by the way, and is definitely going to miss some time. I would think there's no way, like, there's no way Paul's going to do another Ironman season like he did this past year. So past I think two years, get, right. With right, yeah. I, I mean, just for his own good, the Suns shouldn't let him do that. Um, but yeah, Payne is a, one of the great, one of the best signings. Also, since we're jumping around, I don't know if you have an agenda, but like, 
I think Daniel Tice, 36 in Houston. I kind of like almost everything Houston did this offseason, by the way. But Tice at four for 36, that's a guy you can trade to any team that's going into the playoffs and still needs a center that can do like sort of non-center stuff. So like as a trade chip, which I assume is all Houston cares about because they're not trying to win. But like that's a guy that I think you could really like, you can pull a first round pick out of somebody for that. And first round? Like, Come on. Yeah. Don't you Maybe. think? Maybe. I I, I didn't hate the signing, but it was like curious. I had Tice as just a target of teams that might have only had the mini mid level, and he yeah. going for four and thirty six was the was the fourth year non guaranteed though. I can't remember. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, well, I'd say this: like people are talking about how Rashawn Holmes four for fifty five is like oh, that's. Reasonable. By the way, it was four, it wasn't four and fifty five because they re-signed yeah. him using early bird rights, so it's four for forty six. Oh, even better! That's that the steal good. of free. That might be the st- maybe not the steal, but that was. I mean, wow. I can't believe that that I I assumed he was gonna get at least fifteen. I was wrong, completely wrong. Yeah, I didn't think there's any way they were gonna be able to, to use to get him back just with early bird. That's crazy. And that that becomes a contract that can be very easily traded because the Kings are you talk about aimless. I'm you first of all, you keep Rashawn Holmes on that deal. I'm not one hundred percent, but yeah. you tried to trade Buddy Heald or thought you were for Harold and Kuzma, and now you didn't. Um, and then you drafted Davion Mitchell when you have De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald and um, DeLon Wright is no longer on the team, but, you know, Tyrese Albert and A's. So there's a lot of weird stuff there. I would advocate that unless they're going to go all in on a star trade, which if you told me the Kings are going to mortgage everything except for Halliburton and Fox to bring in Siakam or whatever star becomes available, I'm fine with it. Make that play. Get out of the fucking submittal already. Like if you're not going to do that, it's time to to tear it down and rebuild around Halliburton and Fox. And I, I, I guess Davion Mitchell, I'm, I, you know, I, that's such a weird setup there. So they're another team to watch, but I don't think that they got better. I think keeping Holmes was just really smart business on that. I cannot believe his, the market for bigs remains just weird. Like you're going to tell me Tice got four for 36 and Rashawn Holmes got four for 46. Come on. I think as a playoff center, I'm it's more than Holmes. Like this is getting way in the weeds, but like, in terms of what you need to do in the playoffs, Tice can move a little more, but, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a uh, smart and we get back to Jared Allen. Cause I've mentioned him like oh, 15 times. And yes. just refuse to let me talk about Jared Allen uh, for a hundred, right? Like five or hundred. I yeah. don't, I don't, uh, I have a hard time understanding. You look so stressed out right now. <laughs> I, well, it's like, I'm trying to put like, why it's like I, you. So, okay. I don't think it's bad because you could talk me into him being able to play with Evan Mobley. Cause the whole selling point on Mobley is he could do guard stuff. He didn't, I, I, we don't, we think he has a projectable three point shot. He's defensively good enough to guard anybody. So sure. But like the optimal version of a guy that can do that is to play him at center. Like, like that's the best way to use an Evan Mobley type insofar as there are any Evan Mobley types there. It's a rare thing. It's not, you're not getting the maximum value out of a guy you use the third pick on by saying, well, he can play the four next to a conventional center. Like, no, this guy needs to be your center. Jared Allen is a, a rim running lob threat that defends the basket and some switch, guy, not a ton, some. I need to see way more. Like, I, I, yes, theoretical, some switch. Like, I, you're not going to convince me that 
I mean, he's no Daniel Tice. Let's <laughs> uh, How did we leave with Daniel Tice being one of the five best centers in the game off this podcast? All right. That's good. Why did he get 200 million? There, there's also no, maybe like Alan, I just don't I don't understand why you're paying hundred million dollars to a conventional center uh, and you're a, a, not a good team. This is like, I just, I don't, this is how you stay a bad team is you spend huge resources on the most replaceable fungible position in the league. I, I just, it, it makes no sense to me. I don't care that he's young. I don't care. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. You're going to have to talk me way into this one. I don't No, I don't, I wouldn't have given him that much. I was surprised with that number. I guess I don't hate as much as you, but that's a great point where it's, you don't maximize the third pick in the draft by saying, well, he can play the four. Like that's some Al Horford, Joel and bead logic in Philly. Right. So I actually, I totally get that. And you also, you know, we assume that Jared Allen's young and we assume that these deals can be moved later on. Like Kevin Love is still on the Cavs roster after signing his extension. He was an all-star. So and he can shoot. Right. And th- there seems like there's unnecessary risk there. And I come back to this is who was the team? Who was the team that was, they couldn't give him a fifth year. Who was the team that was going four and 80 for Allen? The, the Hornets punted on that with the idea of going after Holmes or Allen essentially before free agency by acquiring Mason Plumlee and even drafting Kai Jones. So I, you know, and I know teams don't necessarily want to play hardball. Like there's that goodwill, but then there's also these weird value propositions where it's like, okay, I know Jared Allen is younger and is more transformative defensively. Rashawn Holmes is just ridiculously good on offense and serviceable on defense. And he's getting average annual 11.5 million a year versus Allen getting 20. And then there's even this, and maybe you feel differently about this. John Collins is probably going to sign for five and 125. Is John Collins only $5 million a year per more valuable than Jared Allen? <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly asking, and I would argue, no, I think he's more. Yeah, oh, I agree. And I'm not a huge Collins fan, Like, but I think, I think Collins is, I, well, first of all, Holmes is objectively a better player than Jared Allen, I think. Like if you just put the total just not Daniel Tice. Uh, no one's better than nobody is nobody (laughs) i'd rather have homes if the money were equal now i wouldn't pay homes a hundred million dollars obviously but like i think that would have what homes got kind of feels a lot closer to what alan is going to be worth like now the age thing is and and and, you know the Cavs did actually they didn't even they just like snuck into the hardened trade to get him so it's not even like they were pot committed and like had to you know make sure he didn't walk there actually when plus Mobley, like th- you could absolutely let this guy walk. Who cares? Sign and trade scenarios had to be, I'm sure Toronto would have gotten involved in a Jared Allen sign and trade for somebody. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, th- I think your point's the best one of like, where was the, who, who was offering four for, for 80? Like I, maybe I just, I don't know. I, I don't know where that offer was. Oh, Grant, as always, it was great talking to you. Um, I did not expect to leave this podcast with you ranking Daniel Tice as one of the five best centers in the game, like I said. Everybody follow Grant on Twitter if you do not already. At GT underscore Hughes does fantastic work for Bleacher Report and, frankly, on this podcast because he's such a reoccurring frequent guest. Thank you, as always, for all your time. And as you know, I know that you're currently on you know, vacation for trying to take it easy for the month of August. But I think, as you know, I'll be pestering you again in the, in the near future. It sounds like you have a lot of free time on your hands. So um, it'll, the request will definitely be coming. I, I do, and I look forward to it.